this week we finish up our study on the book of Hebrews. And while for the most part we've talked about a lot of things that had some sort of comparison with the old priesthood, today we are going to be addressing a, a new element of the priesthood that is completely unique to what we have. And that is Jesus, our beckoning priest. And, and what he is calling us to, what he is beckoning us to, is to take hold of the rights, the privileges that he has blessed us with. I hope you enjoy and I hope that you are pushed to do something about these privileges we inherit as Christians. Yes, thank you, Lord, for the many blessings. Thank you, guys, for that. Well, for one final time, I'll repeat the words that uh, we've heard over the past couple of weeks. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says, And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, and since then he has been waiting until the, his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Well, today we wrap up our study in the book of Hebrews, and we, we finish this in time to then next week celebrate something very special because next week is the end of the Christian year and it ends on a high note because we celebrate what is called Christ the King Sunday and we celebrate the return. But before we get there, we do have to wrap one final thing up. Now, up until this point, everything we've talked about, comparing the old priesthood with the new priesthood, there has been some something that equates between the two, though not very well. I mean, we, we've had sympathy, intercession, everlasting, sacrificing, and, and completing, and all these have had some sort of rough, poorly copied version in the old priesthood as what Christ brought to us now. But this last one is something entirely different. This last one is, is completely new, and there is no comparison to it. But before we get there, I want to, uh, <laughs> I want to share a story from my past, from both of our past, actually. Uh, when we graduated from college, they had a big fancy dinner, and they brought in families and all the graduates, and, and we were able to sit down and ha have a nice meal, and, and they gave us some gifts to celebrate our graduation. They encouraged the professors to write cards out to the students that they had, and we were, we were a small college. I mean, my, our graduating class was the biggest they've had in years, and it was like 25 people, something like that. I mean... I literally took a class with two other students once. We are we are a three student class. Amy did a class where she had to she had to take it and they didn't have any other options. She was the only student. 
So, I mean, it was a small college, but these professors, we got to know them over the years, and so they were encouraged to write notes to us to encourage us in our new ministry positions, and they gave us books, of course, written by previous alumnus who had written books and wanted to, you know, pass the fanfare out and stuff, and, and, uh, and then they also gave us a badge and a piece of paper, and this was to symbolize us moving from student to alumni, alumnus. I don't know how the correct wording is supposed to go, but uh, uh, to alumni. And, and these were our rights and privileges as graduates of Great Lakes Christian College. And, and these were things that we did not have access to as students. But because we have graduated, now we had access to and they were, you know, a list of a whole bunch of different things. I can't remember. I don't even know if we still have the, the sheet. It, it was kind of mediocre because there was a small little catch to it all. It was, oh, and by the way, we also expect as your rights and privileges to rightly and privilege us with financial means, um, which as a personal side note, handing a piece of paper that says to students who just graduated, hey, by the way, can you give us money? when we're staring down a mountain of debt, probably not the best way to go about that. But I digress. Um, they had this all set up because there was a certain factor about moving on to a new stage. And we have that as Christians. Did you know that? When we become a Christian, we get a certain set of rights and privileges that no one else has access to. We get a little special badge, although we can't see it because it's written on our hearts. Of course, as we grow and as God works, it begins to shine out, and people begin to see that. And we get our list of privileges. It's this thing right here. This outlines all the things that we have access to, all the things that we are privileged to have. And as Christians, it is our honor to have these things. And, and so Christ, being our priest, he wants us to have these rights and privileges. He wants to bless us with these things. And so he is our beckoning priest, calling us to make use of what he has given us. And so today we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Now, honestly, there's, there's not much more to be said about uh, the sections that we have read, although I would challenge you and I would ask you to read through the entire book of Hebrews over this week, um, mainly because what we have focused on was only a small fraction of what the author truly has to say, and I don't want you to get the picture that this is all that he's talking about. There's so much more information here than what we have covered. So read through it absorb it, and look at it with this new light that we've discussed. But for now, I ask that if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word today in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart, in full assurance of our faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to, to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things. We, we ask that you please uh, enlighten our hearts and our, our minds to this. Show us what it means to be called to enjoy these rights and privileges that you have given us. May your Holy Spirit speak to us today. Amen. You may be seated. Um, the first right and privilege we have as Christians that Jesus is calling us to take is to have the confidence to enter the presence of God. Now, this is something that is, is very, very unique, and I want you to understand truly what that means. You see, before Christ, there has been millions and millions of people, but only one person at a time could ever enter the sanctuary of God. It started with Moses. Moses was the first one to be able to actually encounter God's presence. And then Aaron, as he became the high priest, and every high priest after was enabled to stand in the presence of God. But only them, only one person at a time in all of human history up into the point of Christ. But now we are given the ability to enter his sanctuary. We are given the privilege. And now our, our wording here, it, it doesn't do justice. The, the translation that they use for to have confidence is not quite getting that picture along because to have confidence in something is to know that you can make a good decision. To have confidence means that you, you can trust that what you're going to do is good. There's more to it than that. It's not just that we know we can enter God's presence. It is, it is saying that we explicitly have the privilege of entering God's presence. We explicitly have the right, and no one has a say otherwise. This is very, very unique. To be able to actually walk into the presence of God because of what Christ has done for us. Just think about that. What, what would be different about us if we stood in the presence of God? Would we continue to act the same way? Would we continue to respond to stressful situations in the same way if we truly spent every day in the presence of God? We got to see a, an example of this when Moses would stand before God. He would come down from the mountain and his face would be glowing so much that the people said, please cover up. And so he would wear a veil over his face to restrict the glory that was shining just from standing in his presence. And now we are given the privilege and the right to stand in God's presence every day. What could not be different about our lives then? 
Just think about it. Now, you might be saying, well, then how do, we, how do we go into his presence? Because this is not simply talking about entering an earthly sanctuary. It's not walking into a, a tabernacle or, or a place like this that is entering his presence. It is talking about literally the throne room of God. We get to do that through Jesus Christ. And we do that by reading his word. His scripture that lives and breathes and speaks and moves in humanity throughout all time brings us to his presence. When we stop and clear our minds and we pray to God, we enter his throne room. And when we find a moment to stop, to be silent so that God can speak to us, We need to incorporate these things into our lives daily so that we can enter his presence, so that we can be changed, so that then when we see people, they look at you like you're kind of funny. They look at you like there's something a little strange about you because you're going to be changed in his presence. Well, That's not the only right and privilege we have. (laughs) Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope. Now, this is is a really nice one because this is our testimony. This is how we came to faith. This This is how God has worked in our lives. And this is what we stand on as a human being, as our own person. And each of us have a different confession of hope. They all tie back to Jesus, but we all come from different angles and different paths that we all have a different confession of saying, well, maybe you were in drugs and alcohol, or maybe you had a, a, a crappy uh, familyhood that you were brought up in, but we all come to that same confession of Christ saved me. But we all have this story to tell, and it's a wonderful thing to have because back in the day, I say that, I know, I'm young, I'm sorry, but I have to say back in the day, because this was back before my time, many of the books that were written about this were before I was born, and I'm sorry about that, but back in the day, it was all about proving God's existence, using science and facts and, and time frames and, and carbon dating to try to prove that what the Bible says is true. That is not the case these days. People my age, again, I hate saying that term, but that's the only way I can equate it. People who are my age, the next generations that are coming up and living in our society, they don't care about the science. They don't care about the facts and and the cold, hard, scientific uh, carbon dating. They don't care about that. What they care about, what changed your life? What story do you have to tell me that means something? How are you affecting society in a positive way? That is what they care about. That is what they're longing for because there is a void in this society. And they are desperately looking for something to have value and meaning. And we as priests, being equipped to do the work of God, to share his news, have been given the best thing ever. You have a salvation story. 
You have a salvation story. You have a salvation story. That is all you need. That is your confession of hope. And that will mean more to people who are growing up now than to be able to cite such and such facts about such and such things that prove such and such things that then must mean that this is true. But they have to see it. They have to see that your confession of hope is doing something. And that is why the author in Hebrews says, and do not waver. You can't, you can't say that uh, I was saved by God and he, he, he enabled me to have a, a transformed life so I don't live the way I used to live and then go right back to living the way you used to live because what does that tell people? That that confession of hope did nothing. Even more so, if we truly believe it ourselves, we must believe that the one who gives us this confession of hope is faithful, as the scripture tells us that he is faithful to make our story true. You can stand on your story because he is faithful. You can stand in your story because he is faithful. You can believe that you were saved because he is faithful. The world is so hungry for something that makes a difference. They're looking around and, and, and people are saying, isn't there something more to life? And all they want to see is what will truly make a difference. And we have it at our disposal. It's inside of us. We don't even have to go and study. We don't have to read a book to understand the science and ma uh, the mechanics of it. It's, it's what we lived. It's the most personal thing you have. Well, as with our rights and privileges with the college, there is a small catch here, small little hook. Look what it says in uh, verse 24. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The hook to all this, we, we got we to stay connected. We can't abandon coming together, meeting together. We can't abandon trying to provoke one another to love and good deeds. That is the requirement for these rights and privileges. Now, <laughs> with this, uh, I, 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 sometimes you read the news and you wonder about society. I, I literally have read that there are, there are things coming out. You, you, do you know virtual reality? Virtual reality, right? Uh, a lot of stuff now you're seeing there are goggles that you put on. You can even put a phone in or a separate device, and you can put it over your eyes, and you're in a whole other world. And you can interact with it as if you were there. The question that is becoming more and more prevalent for churches is, why do I have to attend a physical church? I can stream one online. I can, I can get into a chat room and talk with people. I can now... 
put on goggles and be in a virtual church for service. So why do I need to come to the physical? Do not neglect meeting together. There's something about physical. There's something about being able to actually come up and say, hey, how are you doing? And you can see their eyes. You can read their expressions, and you understand all suddenly that they say, yeah, I'm fine. And you say, no, you're not. What's going on? Talk to me. Let's connect. Besides that, if you live in California and I live in Florida, how are we going to get together to actually do something in our communities to make a difference? No, we need to meet together so that we can serve together, so that we can live together, so that we can help each other out. There's no way I was going to be able to help Kevin with his car if I lived 30 minutes away. There's no way I was going to be able to do stuff with people if I live in another state. Oh, yeah, let me hop on my virtual reality. and uh, Yeah, because remember, he has a torn rotator cuff. He can't do some of the stuff with his arm. He needed someone physically there to help him, all the technology in the world would not have helped him at that point. The internet was useless at that point. He needed someone to stand with him, to aid him, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Provoke. I remember we talked a little bit about the scripture way back in a Wednesday night class, and, and one translation even said to spur. Now, if you have ridden horses at all or going around horses, you know what a spur is. It's a little sharp metal piece that goes on your boot, and when you want that horse to go faster, you kick it, and that makes the horse giddy up a little bit more. Imagine spur people on to love and good deeds. It's real hard to spur people on to do anything over the internet, but it's a whole lot easier to say, hey, you know what, I, I really need some help. Come on, you need, to, you need to help me. And you can physically say, come on, you need to help me. There's a difference there. We have to do it. Because if the body stops living as the body... What does that leave us with? So, we have rights and privileges, and Jesus is our beckoning priest, calling us to take these rights and privileges, to make use of them, to do something with them. Are you going to answer the call? If so, prove it. Get in his word daily. Pray to him daily. Be quiet with God daily so that you may enter his presence and be changed so that others might be changed through you. And then share your testimony. Share your story. Own it. Live it. Love it. Because that is how God changed your life. And people desperately want to hear that. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't waver in that. Own it. 
And please don't stop gathering together. We have Sunday morning. We have the simple supper and Wednesday night. We have the new, the new mom's unplugged playtime where it gives moms a little bit of break and gives children time to play with actual toys instead of screens. And, and we have all these ways that we are trying to help us come together, to live together. Don't neglect that. It is necessary. And if we do this, if we do these things, people are going to see. People are going to understand. People are going to notice something different, and they are going to start to hear something beckoning them. And then you will be there to share with them what they need to hear, to share with them about a priest who is calling them to live a life that is far more rewarding. Do you hear it? We are being beckoned by our priests to enter this new life and to bring others with us. Are you going to answer that call? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for these rights and privileges. Thank you that you actually enable us to have these rewards. As, as Christians, we, we, unlike humanity in the past, we actually get to enter in your presence. We actually get to stand before your throne with confidence. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be ashamed. Oh, God, and you, you, you bless us with a testimony that we can stand on, a testimony that is our own and we can claim as true. And thank you, Lord, that we are in a time where people want to hear that testimony, that people actually want to see how you have changed our lives. Protect us, God. Protect us from falling away. Protect us from not being together, from not sharing our lives together. God, continue to call us every day. Beckon us to something greater. Timeless one, you create all moments of our lives, giving each its meaning and purpose Strengthen us to witness continually to love, to the love of Jesus Christ that we may hold fast in times of trial, even to the end of the ages. Amen. I now send you into your community to make Christ-like disciples. Go. You are dismissed.